This morning, God's Word comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, we're going to be reading the verses 4 through 10. Now I hope that sounds familiar to some of you. Because we looked at this text last Sunday evening. I made reference in our Wednesday night class to the different ways of dealing with Scripture. Last Sunday evening, we looked at this text exegetically and walked through it pretty much verse by verse. This morning, we are going to look at this text more theologically, more topically, and use it to enlighten our study of the Word of God as summarized in the Belgic Confession. But yes, I know it is the same text. It's not a typo. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, what we hear now is God's word. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 865 in the back section. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith. And this morning, we are going to look at Article 27. Article 27, found on page 865. This article is entitled, The Holy Catholic Church. We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. For example, during the very dangerous time of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who did not bend their knees to Baal. And so, this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. This is our confession of faith. Well, this morning we are returning to our study of the Word of God as uh, summarized for us in the Belgic Confession, we are entering what is really the last main section of the Confession. We saw that in Articles 1 through 13, the Confession talked about God. 
about his word and about his works. Then there was that brief section, Articles 14 through 17, about man and his fallenness and sinfulness. We just finished uh, the middle section of the Confession, Articles 18 through 26, about the person and work of Christ. And now we enter, as I said, the last main section, Articles 27 to the end, and they are about the church. Articles of our faith about the church. It was about 20 years ago or so that a prominent radio minister raised in a Reformed church with a very widespread ministry, announced to his listeners that the age of the church is over. That God is finished with his church. He encouraged his listeners not only to leave their churches, but he encouraged them to disband their churches. The age of the church is over. They were simply to wait for the second coming of the Lord. Now we know that is not the case. The age of the church has not come to an end. But, but when we look at the influence of the church in society, it may seem that way at times. The church is not well respected by the world. What do we believe about the nature of the church? What do we believe about God's church? Uh, we are entering this final section of the confession, and it is a beautiful section that reminds us that the church is God's special possession. The church is God's chosen people. The confession gives us a beautiful picture of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that picture we're going to look at in the next weeks together. We're going to talk about the glorious church of God. Now even as we say the glorious church, we have to acknowledge that that, that does somewhat run contrary to what we see around us. Where are the power brokers in the world today? The power brokers are on Wall Street. The power brokers are in the government assemblies. The power brokers are in the institutions of higher education. This is where the power is located. The church is often seen as, as simply a crutch for those who are weak. If you can't quite get along in life, then maybe you should go to the church. That's, that's often the picture that the world has. And so when we confess that the church is glorious, it is a confession of faith. It is something we may not see if we look at the church through the eyes of the world. The church may seem insignificant. But, but Peter helps us to see the church not through the eyes of the world, but to see the church as God sees the church. And then we get a very different picture. What does he say in verse 9? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's God's view of the church. That's God's view of the glory of his people, chosen by him, a precious possession of his. We need to get God's picture of the church, and that's, that's often found in the Psalms as well. We sang one of those Psalms this morning, Psalm 48 where the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, that's the church, children, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King. 
Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. The psalm goes on to say this, Walk about Zion, go around her, Number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. That's the picture of God's glorious church. Not something small, not something insignificant, but those chosen by God. Now we know, we know that we so often fall short of that glorious picture. But we don't determine what the church ought to be by what we see it is today. The church is determined by God's picture of it. And this is his glorious picture. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's the church, chosen, loved by God, his own precious possession. This is what we confess by faith. We may not see it if we look in the eyes of the world, but we know God, God who is powerful and God who has revealed this glorious picture of his wonderful church. What are the, what are the characteristics, what are the attributes of God's church? Well, Kids, we confess every Sunday the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, there are three uh, descriptions, attributes, characteristics of God's church. We confess every Sunday, and we're going to do it in a few minutes later, we're going to confess the Apostles' Creed. We confess a holy Catholic church. We confess a holy Catholic church. These are the three attributes of God's church. We confess a church. We confess one church. The church of God is one. There is one church of our Lord Jesus Christ. I suspect if you tell many people that, they'll say, really? Really? because I drive by a dozen churches on my way to work. How can you say that there's only one church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, there are many visible expressions of the church, but there is only one people of God, and there is only one way of salvation. There may be different ways that is played out in the life of visible churches, but there is one true church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who find our life in Jesus Christ alone. What does our confession say? We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We confess one single church. This is our confession of faith. And we have to remember that. That while there may be different manifestations of the church, we confess one church. It is very easy to become sectarian, to think that our church, or perhaps even our federation of churches or type of churches, are the only true churches. Now, we must certainly be careful not to be too broad in our understanding of what is a true church. 
But we must also not be too narrow. There are other faithful churches preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, finding salvation in Him alone by faith. And they too are part of that one true church. We confess a church. We confess a holy church. Now, holy does not mean sinless perfection. If that were the case, none of us, none of us would be here. We do not say the church is the place for the perfect people. That is not the case. The church is made up of sinners. When we confess a holy church, we're not even saying this is something the church will become later. Look what Peter says in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are these things right now. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Holy is not something that we will become someday. When we confess the holiness of the church, we are confessing this is a reality, but it is a reality that is found because of the work of Christ. Christ who was absolutely perfect. Christ who was absolutely holy. Christ who offered up himself as a sacrifice for our sins and took away our sins and by his perfection credits to us a righteousness. A righteousness not our own, a righteousness which is his. And so, in God's perspective, when God sees the church, He sees you in Jesus Christ. And He sees you as holy. Because Christ was holy. Not a holiness of our own, but a foreign, an alien righteousness granted and credited to us. That's how God sees His church. And, and and we need to seek to be that which God has declared us to be. We need to set ourselves apart for holy living, which is why earlier in this text, in verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We need to look like what we are in Christ. Our lives have to change because we belong to church, God's glorious, holy church. We believe a church. We believe a holy church. We believe a Catholic church. And I do recognize that that word Catholic when we describe the church, can be confusing. When we say we believe the church is Catholic, we are not saying a confession about the Roman Catholic Church. That is a particular expression, the Roman Catholic Church. What we are talking about when we use the word Catholic, that, that word Catholic, and our, our confession picks that up in terms of universal, the Catholicity of the church means it is a church of all times and a church of all places. The church is Catholic. It's a church of all times and a church of all places. And in fact, when you put a qualifier before the word Catholic, like Roman Catholic, you've undermined the Catholicity of the church. Because Catholic means all times, all places, not one little branch. So we do confess the Catholic Church, the Church of all times. What does our confession say? This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal King who cannot be without subjects. This church has been from the beginning and will continue till the end. The church was in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, you have the man and the woman in fellowship with each other and in fellowship with God. 
That's a very, very simple definition of the church. The church has had various expressions throughout time. When God comes to Abraham and makes a covenant with him, the church is now now somewhat seen as connected with a particular line of people. In the monarchy, we have the the kingship established where the king of, of the nation is also the king of God's people, a different expression of the church. Even in the captivity, we have the remnant being held onto by God, his own in fellowship with him. Throughout time, the church has been. The church is not a uh, 21st century phenomenon. Sometimes uh, you go to to websites of various churches and try to find their history. Where did you come from? And, and, And it almost seems as if they dropped from heaven last week. There's no history at all. They fail to recognize the Catholicity of the church through time. That God has always had his own people, chosen, loved, precious, who belong to him. We confess a Catholic church. A church of all times. A church of all places. Once again, our confession. And so this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. The church is not simply a North American phenomenon. The church is not made up of one particular particular ethnic group but it is the church of all places the church is not only here in southern california the church is around the world we have to get that glorious picture that the church is far bigger than just what we see within these walls i had the privilege for a number of years serving as what we call the stated clerk of our Federation of Churches. The stated clerk is somewhat the contact point for anyone who wants to have a connection with the United Reformed Churches, our Federation of Churches. And as I served in that role as stated clerk, I was amazed at the number of times that I would get emails or phone calls from people around the world wanting to in some way align themselves with the United Reformed Churches from Europe and from Africa and from Asia and from Australia, around the globe, recognizing that the church is not one place, but it's a glorious thing. It's a majestic thing. It it, it stretches from shore to shore and beyond. This is the church we confess. One holy Catholic church. And this church Beloved by God is also preserved by God. It is not the end of the church age. The time of the church is not over. But God continues to hold on to his chosen people. He continues to work in the life of his church through Jesus Christ. Verse 4 of our text. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. From verse 6, it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The church is built on Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus Christ without followers cannot be. God continues to build his church. We, like living stones, being brought in. Preserved by God himself. Again, from our confession, we read this. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men as though it were snuffed out. Again, we must get the picture not of the world, But the picture is God sees his church. Those who are precious, those who are chosen, those who are his own, who he is continuing to build, 
God's glorious church is continuing throughout the world, growing to bring more glory and honor and praise to Him. Our text says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe. The honor of belonging to this glorious church. The honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. God has given us the gift of faith to put our trust in Jesus Christ, to be brought in His chosen ones to His glorious church. But for those who reject, for those who will not hear, that Jesus Christ is not the cornerstone. He's a stone stumbling a rock of offense. It all has to do with what we do with Jesus. And so once again this morning, God calls to you to put your faith and trust in Him. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that cornerstone of His church that was from the beginning and will last till the end of time. And know the glory of belonging to this beautiful thing, this, this chosen of God, this church of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we, we have the privilege of celebrating one of the blessings of belonging to that church. As God welcomes us, His children, to come to His table. This is a table for believers. We have the practice of what we call fencing the table of the Lord. There were elders in the hall this morning to talk with those of you who are visiting with us. And if you are a member of that, that one holy Catholic church submitting to Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ alone as your only hope for salvation, you've aligned yourself with a Christian church that confesses that, you are welcome to come to the table today. If you have not, if you've not embraced Jesus Christ, if you are not submitting to his rule through the eldership, then we lovingly, we in love, warn you to abstain because it's a supper for the church, a supper given to God's people, God's chosen. Oh, it's a blessed thing, a blessed thing to belong to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't always look so powerful in the eyes of the world, but we look through the eyes of faith. And we see the picture God has given to us. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the glory of belonging to the church of our God. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you for your holy Catholic Church. We thank you that we enter that church by faith, and you have given us that faith to embrace Jesus Christ. Oh, help us, Lord God, to live as members of your church, seeking to honor you, seeking to bring praise and glory to you, for you are the one in whom we find all of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a form in the back of the praise book in front of you that we're going to use for the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning. That form is found on page 45 in the back of that book. Page 45. We'll begin with the section celebrating our salvation in Christ. Let us also consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally, that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins. And afterward, he suffered countless insults, so that we might never be put to shame. 
Let us confidently believe that he was innocent, yet put to death, that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment, that he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross so as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself, so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross. When he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace. During the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness toward you. Because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death, I give my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as the bread is broken before you and this cup is given to you, and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I refresh, nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He has also obtained for us the life-giving spirit who dwells in Christ our head and enables us who are his members to have communion with him and to be made partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same spirit, we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love. As the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that we might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the Almighty merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. That we may obtain these blessings, let us humble ourselves before God and with true faith implore him for his grace. Let's join together in a time of prayer. Merciful God and Father, we cherish the blessed memory of the suffering and death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in this supper, you will so work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that with true confidence we might give up ourselves more and more unto your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this might allow our burdened and contrite hearts to be nourished and refreshed with the true body and blood of him who was true God and true man, the only heavenly bread. Empower us to no longer live in our sins, 
knowing that he lives in us and we in him. May we truly be partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace. May we not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, who does not impute the guilt of our sins to us, and who provides us with all that we need for body and soul, as your dear children and heirs. Grant us also your grace, that we may take up our cross, cheerfully deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulation, with uplifted head, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. There he will make our mortal bodies like unto his glorified body, and take us to be with him in eternity. Answer us, O God and merciful Father, through Jesus Christ. Amen. By this holy supper, may we also be strengthened in the Catholic, undoubted Christian faith of which we make confession with heart and mouth. Let's all confess the words of the Apostles' Creed, saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For those of you who have requested permission to come to the table, we welcome you to come to the table of our Lord. That we may be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, let us not cling with our hearts to external things like bread and wine, but lift our hearts to heaven, where our advocate Jesus Christ is at the right hand of his heavenly Father, where the articles of our Christian faith direct us. Let us not doubt that we shall be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The bread that we break is a communion of the body of our Lord.
take, eat, remember, and believe the body of our Lord was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is a communion of the blood of our Lord. Take, drink, remember, and believe the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ 
was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name with thanksgiving. Let everyone say in his heart, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who, who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore, my mouth and my heart shall show forth the praise of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. O oh, merciful God and Father, we thank you with all our heart that of your boundless mercy you have given us your only begotten Son for a mediator, the sacrifice for our sins, and as our food and drink unto life eternal. We also thank you that you give us a true faith whereby we become partakers of these benefits. You have united us to Christ and to each other in the communion of saints. You have given your Son for us and to us and have proclaimed his saving death to the whole world. Having signified and sealed the atoning sacrifice of your Son for us, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, also make us witnesses to this good news among our neighbors. Strengthen us in faith to live gratefully in this present age as we await our Savior's return in glory. In his name we pray, amen. We're going to sing together from the Trinity Psalter hymnal number 103, selection E, 103E. We will sing the five verses remaining seated while the offering for the Benevolent Fund is received. 